Thank you for joining us on Warrior Women Speak. I'm Judge Rosemary Aquilina, author of Just Watch Me, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sherry Botwin, LCSW, social worker and trauma specialist and author of Thriving After Trauma, Stories of Living and Healing. We have created this podcast for your enjoyment and so that we all can talk about our issues and learn together about how to deal with trauma and those things that spring up in our everyday life. Please join us for every episode and let us know what you want to talk about. Now for the show. Happy New Year. The holidays are over. Is your waistline a little larger? I haven't measured mine. I'm afraid to. I don't know about you, Sherry, but I'm thinking those uh, pants with the wide waistband are going to be in for the month of January. I can tell you that I enjoyed myself. I tried to not overeat, but it got me thinking about binge eating disorders and when is overeating a problem? And when is it something that, like what I did for the holidays, I said, well, I don't usually have that pie, but I'm going to have it today and I'm going to forgive myself tomorrow. What do you tell people when they say, I think I have an eating disorder? Okay. So what you just described is definitely not an eating disorder. It feels like one and okay. I feel guilty, <laughs> but I, I agree. I don't think I have an eating disorder, but there's a lot of guilt associated with food. And I do know because my, we've talked a lot about the twins being in the bus accident. And I can tell you that Marissa uh, will hide food oh. and eat it. And then when I say we don't eat in bedrooms, she feels shame about it. And I don't. I want to talk with you about how to handle that. I don't blame or shame her, but I do know there's a difference between me saying, I'll forgive myself tomorrow, I'll eat the piece of pie, and Marissa comforting herself by eating alone because she needs to feel better about something. So how do we know? Okay. So the way I want to just answer this first is I want to just say most people at one point in their lives will struggle with some type of issue with food or body image. That's just part of being human, whether it's developmental changes that we go through when we're teenagers, when we go through menopause, after pregnancy, there's that. Then there's life circumstances, life happens, right? We go through loss, we go through trauma. And again, most people, when they're going through something stressful, will resort to something like comfort eating, drinking, smoking marijuana excessively. So there is a difference. And one of the things that I want to point out, as you say, when you talk about the holidays, in order to be characterized as somebody who has an actual eating disorder or even has disordered eating patterns, you would need to be struggling with these symptoms for at least a month. So like when you talk about the holidays, right? It's a week of the year where there's lots of get-togethers, there's lots of family events. We as human beings tend to center everything around food. 
If you, even with Christmas, you know how people talk about how Christmas is stressful because I have to think about gifts. Ultimately, the thing that gathers people together is the food, not the gifts. It's the, you know, when you think about planning your Christmas dinner, you're talking about, are you going to buy a gift for Marissa? Who's going to buy a gift for Michael? Who's going to buy a gift for my cats? Blah, 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 blah. And don't tell anybody, but she is cats, but that's another show. Um, <laughs> that's a whole nother show. So that's what brings us together. So when you talk about, you know, I let myself eat the pie, then I felt guilty. What you're describing is somebody who has issues when you indulge, you have issues with that. Like there's a part of you that's feeling like maybe I shouldn't have done that, or I'm only allowed to do that once a year or over the holidays. So what you're describing is something that many people can relate to. When you when you bring up the example of Marissa, that's a little bit different because Marissa went through something very traumatic. She's been working through her feelings about the bus accident. Is it two years or three years now? In February, February 1st, it will be two years, believe it or not. And she is still struggling because healing just doesn't have a time frame and she's right. going through that PTSD and all the issues that trauma caused. And I have discovered that eating is one of them, maybe not eating dinner, but going downstairs and having a whole box of pop tarts. Yeah. And again, so if this is something that she's been doing ongoingly, and like when you talk about her doing it in secret and then feeling embarrassed and ashamed when she gets quote unquote caught for her, it sounds like it becomes a way to cope with feelings that she doesn't know how to manage, or she's trying to not have to feel the feelings. She's trying to make the feelings different. So Let's start by talking about what, what is an emotional eater eater? So I'm going to ask you questions. Okay? okay. And I want you to, you don't have to answer them out loud, but if you're listening right now and you're thinking, am I somebody who struggles with symptoms of emotional eating? These are the questions that you're going to want to ask yourself. So let me, let me read the questions. And then again, you don't have to answer. Um, so the first question is, do you eat more when you're feeling stressed? So think about that. Do you eat when you're not hungry or when you're full? Do you eat to feel better? For instance, do you eat to calm or soothe yourself when you're upset? Here's one that many people can relate to. Do you reward yourself with food? Do you regularly eat until you've stuffed yourself? And then this is one I would probably want to talk to Marissa about. Does food make you feel safe? Do you feel like food is a friend? Which is what I think you're describing with Marissa. And then the last question that you would want to ask yourself is, do you feel powerless or out of control around food? So you, when I read those questions, you tell me what you think about that. What do you think? So I think uh, Marissa is using food as a soothing mechanism for her. It's her comfort, her go-to. She doesn't know how to handle something. So it makes her feel better because she gets, what is it? The adrenaline, endorphins, whatever that sugar rush. But then she has that immediate guilt. Um, she's not, and I know that eating disorders and bulimia where you eat and then purge is not um, 
related necessarily to binge eating. There's, they're very separate. And so I haven't noticed any of that, but I do notice the guilt. And then she wants to go diet and she wants to do all these things to make amends for, cause she knows she shouldn't do that. She knows she feels awful after it. Um, so does she have this uh, binge tendency? I don't always see it, but I do know in high stress points, she does do that as a coping mechanism. And she can't always tell me what's going on. Uh, she does tell her therapist, which I think when you have any of these things, you've got to have a trained trauma therapist, as we've always said. But that I think has really helped her because as a parent, and for you parents who are listening out there, you didn't tell your parents everything and your kids are not going to tell you everything. Mm -hmm. Especially, so I, yeah. Yeah. So you, Sherry, I mean, you, you can call yourself a therapist. All of you therapists can call yourself therapists. I call you secret keepers because no one can compel uh, you to tell what was said in counseling, except under really dire circumstances, literally. And um, I, I think my children have the utmost respect and confidence in their therapists and that they won't do divulge. And sometimes I just walk in there and say, and here's what I want you to know. And they all, my kids look at me in horror and the therapist just smiles. I spew and leave. <laughs> but you know what? It's very cathartic for me because I know that they'll get the help and I don't have to deal with, you know, all the nitty gritty and the, I told you, or they didn't, or I, you know, all the, the back right. and forth crap but they get it handled. And then the therapist will very calmly bring me in and say, here's what we need to talk about. So I just, I love that about therapy. And I especially think that's important with the binge eating. So I just want to say this to you, the, <laughs> the thing besides you're cracking me up and good for you, by the way, they're young. When you're having like a 12 or 13 or 14 year old, I highly value the feedback that I get from parents and every parent has, does it in their own way. The issue when it comes to emotional eating is that there is so much shame around, even when you say the word binge, I can't tell you how many years it took me to actually say that word out loud. I would sit with, with clients and they would talk to me about struggling with binge eating disorder. And I would think, how are they telling me this? I still can't talk to my own therapist about this. So I just want to make sure people understand that while I don't think you should have to feel shame about the word or about the tendency, it's probably one of the most embarrassing things. It's probably more embarrassing to talk about binge eating than to talk about smoking, drinking, uh, even just taking drugs, because I think the word binge has such a negative connotation. So here's something that I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about when you talk about like with Marissa, you say how after she feels really bad and she's embarrassed. So there's a cycle that people go through. And I just want to share this because maybe people will identify with this. Here's the, here's something to think about when you think about, am I somebody that struggles with this? These are thoughts that you're going to have. You're going to feel guilty and powerless over food. Something happens that upsets you. You feel an overwhelming urge to eat. And then you eat more than you know you should. So what you're describing is the first thing that will happen is we will get triggered. Something may upset us. And again, when you're talking about the holidays, right, there are people, and I've talked to a lot of clients about this before the break, when they think about sitting at a 
dinner table with people that they haven't seen for a year, or they think about sitting at a dinner table with people that they see all the time, but know that it's not good for them to be seeing these people because they're toxic. There's different triggers that can happen. So I'm not going to sit here and do therapy with you. I'm not going to ask you that, but I know you well enough to know that when you sit down to a holiday meal, there's probably thoughts and feelings that you're having that you don't normally have at a meal because you don't normally sit and eat with all of your family members. You you've shared this with us before, right? So even just the idea of sitting down to a meal that can be super stressful for people. And when the food is sitting there, the food becomes sort of like the barrier. It becomes the, it almost becomes like the protect protective mechanism. If I sit and focus on that pie sitting in front of me, I don't have to look to my left or right and think about this person is always judging me. This person hurt my feelings when he or she said this. It's almost like it becomes the escape for us. It becomes the thing to think about. So I don't know if that makes sense to you, but when you say, you know, I let myself indulge this time of year, what I would say is why only this time of year? What's different between Christmas from maybe your birthday or maybe an event that you don't have to invite people to that you don't want. Christmas is one of those holidays where there's so much obligatory inviting and gathering. What are you going yeah, to say? I have thought about that, but here's something, and I don't know how many people can relate to this. And I'm sure there's something in some medical book that you've read that I have missed that chapter on and will probably never, ever want to read. But um, I generally try to eat really healthy because I feel better and I get more done. The holidays are really, really stressful for me because there's so much on my shoulders and I tend to not eat during the day because I'm cooking, because I'm cleaning, because I'm shopping, because I'm getting yelled at, because the kids are fighting, because, because. So when I finally can actually sit down and sometimes it's in my bedroom at 10 o'clock at night and I will just take down whatever food I want and sit there with a mug of coffee and watch some stupid show on television and have my time. And then I think I should not have eaten this. Now I'm not going to sleep and I'm going to feel awful. When there are times when everybody else is eating and I, I won't sit at the table with my father ever again. Um, so I might eat before, after, maybe during the family when they're eating, but in a different room and I'll eat something that I think, well, that tastes really good. Yeah, I'll have another. Yep, I'll have a third. Oh, maybe the fourth or fifth. I'll worry about that tomorrow. The problem with me doing that isn't necessarily the guilt or shame I feel. It's, it makes, I stupidly, knowingly mm -hmm. eat this and I absolutely will get a migraine because it's got chocolate in it or too much sugar. And I feel physically ill, not just for a day, but sometimes two or three days. And I just say, why on earth did I cause myself to feel pain when I wouldn't have, if I just had one scoop of ice cream or one cookie instead of five. And so I think that there's a, for me, a sort of deeper relationship with other things that are going on that I have with food that isn't necessarily binging or purging or starving, but it's the high, low periods that my coping mechanism is, well, I can't go yell at my father because he's got um, Parkinson's, but I'm going to eat what I want to say to him 
and feel bad about it later. <laughs> no, but this is good that you're saying this stuff because here's some of the things that I say to clients, right? To people who struggle, everything you're saying makes so much sense. I will say, first of all, you need to take out that why thing when you were just like, why yeah. did I do that? Why? I knew it was going to be the why shames and blames. Right. I do myself and tell everybody else to not do it to themselves. It's all right. We're, we're, we're still, we're still working it on it. We're all working on ourselves, but do you, the, the thing that I try to help people understand is what's the purpose. So you named you, it, it, you shamed yourself, but I'm not listening to that. I'm saying she needs to knock that off. I'm listening to the, the role that the food serves. You're talking about, it's my time to do what I want. It's my chance to think screw this and F that while I'm eating my whatever tastes really good. So it's my time to stuff my feelings. It's my time to have control over everything that's going on around me. I get to pick the show I watch. I get to pick the food I eat. Nobody's bothering me. This is my time, right? So you're describing also the need for boundaries and you're describing the need for space, so what I do when I'm working with somebody who's struggling with something like this all through the year, emotional eating, I will say, why don't you try, or how about, I don't use the word why, but how about you try and write a letter to the food that's sitting in front of you, talk to the food and write a letter saying, this is what I need right now. I need you to give me a hug. I need you to tell me that my feelings are valid. I need you to tell me that if I eat all of that food in front of me, it may not be the best idea because I might not be able to sleep again in a loving, nurturing way, not in a shaming, blaming. So I think one of the things that is happening is you're describing also, if you go all day without getting your needs met, and it's not just the food, if you all day aren't eating, you're not getting your physical needs met, but you're probably not, you're also not getting other needs met. You're not having a chance to just sort of center yourself and breathe and self self care is something that we all need to work on doing throughout the day, not just at night. And many of us working moms, working dads, hardworking people, we, I think we forget that. So again, in some ways you're also describing how for you, food becomes like the reward you've earned. It's almost like you've earned your opportunity to sit and eat whatever the heck you want because you haven't eaten all day and you're hungry, you're tired. So one of the things that you could try, and I say this to people a lot, is when you find that, that you've got all this food in front of you and you're that's all that you can focus on, try and take a five or 10 minute break after you've eaten what you think would be considered an appropriate amount of food. Take a five or 10 minute break, walk away from the food and ask yourself, if I continue eating the food, is that going to is that going to actually make me feel better? Or do I want to do something else instead? Do I want to read? Do I want to meditate? Do I want to sing? Do I want to watch one of my silly shows? Sometimes too, I think what you're talking about is when you've got all that food in front of you and you're full of feelings, it's the end of the day, you're stressed out. You just sometimes need to give yourself a chance to see what you actually need. You probably don't need food past a certain point because you've satiated, you've satisfied your hunger, right? So you probably are needing something that's tactile, but not necessarily something that you're eating or ingesting, because I think some of what I talk to people about what you're telling me too, is the guilt and Marissa, with Marissa also the guilt, the physical discomfort you feel after the 
feeling like what's wrong with me? Why can't I have a better relationship with food? These are feelings that you don't want to have to have. It almost made it not worth it in a way because the punishment or the the self the self-destructive thinking or self self um hateful thinking almost is going to make you want to do it again. It becomes cyclical. So the other thing I want to say to you, and I talk to people about this, people who have binge eating disorder often restrict. I know, I know that might not make sense because it's called binge eating disorder. One of the symptoms of binge eating disorder is to go hours without eating and then binge. So even if you, cause I don't think you plan it that way. I don't think you're intent, right? There right, are no, some, for, yeah. yeah there, so binge eaters, binge drinkers, I see a lot of binge drinkers, um, right. people drug on the weekends or during high stress. I think there's a lot of relationship there. And for me, if you look at my work week, when I'm working, cause I love what I do. I work five jobs. I love everything I do, speaking, the writing, the teaching, the being a judge and all, all the things I do. Okay. Wait, what about being a parent to two cats that you're hiding in your bathroom? Uh, being a parent and most days I have some very high stress days, but it's interesting because I have a refrigerator in my chambers and I plan my lunches for the week. So, you know, everybody thinks, oh, judges go to these fancy lunches. I'm lucky if I get a lunch. <laughs> so I make sure that I have some beef sticks, some cheese sticks, um, you know, some soups, some whatever. So I can actually have something healthy to mm -hmm. eat along with the many cups of coffee I have. Because if I just have coffee, I will not only be talking too quickly and make my staff crazy. But I also will get a migraine. Too much coffee gives me a migraine. No coffee, you know, not enough coffee gives me a migraine. But I do make sure I have balanced food at work, but not at home. And so I recognize that the dysfunction is in some things that are happening in my life that I have absolutely no control over. I just have to hope that God puts them in order for me at some point. But I have done a few things. Like for Christmas, instead of making 12 different things for the meal, I said, here's going to be the meal. Here's a couple of appetizers. And I didn't make myself crazy. I didn't end up with a lot of leftovers, which was good. I didn't have a lot of things that um, people said, I like this. I don't like that. You know, I lot. So I got, I avoided extra criticism. I avoided extra shopping at the stores that are overcrowded. I limited what I was doing. So I actually had more time to myself, less back ache and less um, criticism, to be honest. I also had a lot of compliments, but you know, with my family, there's always the benefit and the burden that run together. And again, I think what you're describing though, you're talking about like, no, you're talking about being mindful and knowing if I scale back a little bit, or if I'm a little bit more mindful about what I actually prepare that's going to actually help you and maybe anybody else around you that's sitting at the table who may have these tendencies. So I think that that's a great idea. The other thing that's important that you're saying is you're able to identify some of what triggers you to want to emotionally eat. And that's, so that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because I think that that is so important. Um, Unlike most shows, usually Judge Aquilina is the one with all the research, but today I felt compelled <laughs> to do some actual like researching here. And I think it's very helpful. So I came across this article and it's talking, I'm just going to find the spot, but 
I love this. So one of the suggestions that they're talking about in this article is keeping an emotional eating diary, which is something, and I don't know, I don't know if that word makes sense to you when you hear it, but that's something that when somebody's in recovery from any type of eating disorder, we work with clients on keeping track, not just writing down what they eat, because who cares what you're eating? It's more about what were you feeling before, during, and after. So that's something that you could even talk with Marissa about, but it can be very helpful because what happens is then you're able to, if you can't figure out what are my triggers, you'll be able to figure it out. Like if, if I had said to you, the week before Christmas, I want you to keep a diary from now until we record the show. There are probably things that you would have written down that you may not even realize as you go through life. Because I think when you write stuff down, you realize things that you don't want to let yourself realize because you're taking a minute to think about it. So that's well, the funny a- thing is, I got to interrupt you right there because you didn't tell me to do a, a diary. But we had talked about doing this yeah. episode, I don't know, a few months ago or weeks ago. And so knowing that the holidays were coming up, I mentally made a list and I thought, what am I doing here? And why am I doing this? And I'm getting upset shopping. I'm getting upset planning. I'm doing all of these things. And then I thought, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Here is a different path and plan. And I actually had a much better holiday overall. All right. You You should have done that to me subliminally. (laughs) Well, So here's when we talked about it. We talked about doing this show right after Thanksgiving. That's when you and I started, you had sent me a message. We, we need to do a show on this. So it was like right after Thanksgiving and um, people can't see me over here, but I'm cheering for judge Aquilina right now, because what you're saying is, is that you did think some about it. You, you might not have an emotional eating diary, but you took a minute to think about, wait a minute. What, what am I going to, what can I do different so that I don't repeat the cycle? How can I better prepare myself for what I know might be a difficult time when it comes to eating and food? So I say, good for you. Do you want, do you want to share any of what mental notes you took? Well, what I did was I, after you and I talked about it, doing the show, because I think what people don't know is you and I don't necessarily have a very rigid plan, but we both have very different but similar paths that we've taken on a lot of things. And so we're always talking about things. And so these topics come from our lives. And Thanksgiving is just stressful for me. I have this huge turkey. I have a lot of people. I may have back pain. And I just, you know, there's so much going on. And I just thought, okay, we've got to do a topic on this because then afterwards. And of course, Turkey has something I think that makes babies sleep and we all get tired. So we have this huge meal and then everybody wants to fall asleep. And I got the dishes and I want to throw the dishes in the yard and have the deer stomp on them. So is that you saying to us that there's a part of you that almost feels overextended and angry because you're thinking, so you know what else you could think about? I thought about that about Christmas and said, this is not happening to me. I'm looking at this and saying, no, this was a yay and this was a nay. And so I'm forging on a new path. I'll take the cuts and bruises as I do in everything else I do. And if my family likes it, great. And if they don't, great, I don't care. You know, my my, my mantra has become, if you don't like it, there's cereal in the cupboard. <laughs> 
So wait, did you have somebody else do the dishes then after Christmas dinner? So the table, I've been setting the table slowly since Thanksgiving. When we changed the tablecloth, the dining room, I just went ahead right on and put the, the Christmas. So it's been slowly getting set as I have five minutes here and there because it's just a lot of work. And I don't know who, but someone while I was at work put the good Christmas plates out, which are beautiful. And my mother loves them and my father likes to eat off them. And so when my nephew came over, I said, hmm, where your grandparents sit, I want you to have real plates. Where everybody else sits, put them away. I bought paper plates. Joanne's had this tremendous sale that was buy three packages, get, no, buy buy one, get three free or something, something crazy. So they were like, you know, the big plates for like $2 a package or something. I don't know. It was a blue light special or they overbought or whatever. So I had all these paper plates in there, the nice ones. And I said, that's so amazing. He said, really? I said, oh yeah, I'm not doing dishes. Good so you. there was time saver number one. <laughs> yeah, but good for you. And again, it might be, we're laughing, right? We're having fun talking about this, but on seriously, it's great because you know what? One of the main reasons people overeat is because they feel overextended. They feel taken advantage of. They feel like, why am I the one doing all the work? So you, by buying those paper plates, that meant that you weren't going to have to do dishes. And I think that's a victory actually for you to be able to, to recognize. Well, and you know, my dad's an old curmudgeon, old school, wants to eat off the China, but let me ask any one of you, I dare you, if I handed you two plates and you didn't know one was paper and one was China, would the food taste any different? Absolutely. 100% not. And you know what, if, when people are spending time with each other and they care about each other, it doesn't matter what the, it really doesn't matter. I mean, food is great. And I, I know you are a wonderful cook, but it's the company, it's the conversation. I mean, we eat every day. Christmas dinner is a special dinner. There might be certain foods that you eat. There might be more food than what you would normally eat, but it's, it's a meal. It's the idea that you're gathering with people. And again, many people struggle on Christmas because they're gathering with people that they feel obligated to gather with, not necessarily people they want to eat dinner with. You're saying, I don't sit down to dinner with my dad, but you're also talking about your dad, how he loves the Christmas china. So I'm assuming he, he sat at the table with you on Christmas. Well, he sat at the dining room table with everybody and he had china and my mother had china and she doesn't require it. But I, I said, you know, they need the china. We all, everybody else ate on paper plates. I just uh, sat in the other room and did some other things I wanted to do. But anyway, you know, even with the desserts, I didn't stand up and make cookies and breads and popovers and all the things I usually do. You know what I did? I haven't made ice cream in a long time. And I thought, damn it, I want coffee ice cream. There you so go. I made uh, coffee ice cream. And someone had given me this beautiful gift box that also contained a package of chocolate covered coffee beans. So I made a huge thing of coffee ice cream and half the batch I made plain and put it in the freezer and half the batch I put the crushed uh, coffee beans in it. It turned out fantastic. And then for dessert, I just took these little bowls and gave everybody a scoop of each. They all like coffee. And there was their dessert. I didn't have to line up a dessert uh, counter and all the things I usually do. And I, they had brought a couple little things. So we had a variety, but nobody 
overindulged on sweets. I didn't overwork. I don't have a lot of sweets to say, oh, now I'm going to spend the next week between now and uh, the new year, you know, eating every crumb in sight. So none of that happened. And it was, a, I think, a healthier, happier holiday overall because of those few minutes of self-care that I took between Thanksgiving and the planning of Christmas to say, hell no, not again. I get to have a vacation and holiday too. You sure do. And you know what you're describing? You're describing how, when we can identify what the triggers are, and then we can make choices based on the information that we have, we can take better care of ourselves. So the need to comfort eat, the need to in overindulge on the sweets, there's not as much of a need because you eliminated some of your stressors. Yeah. Well, the other thing I got, I have to say to people is I feel like you and I have this sort of yin yang kind of, uh, we, we balance each other out when you're stressed, I unstress you. And when I'm stressed, <laughs> you unstress me it's just sort of in a weird way. Um, and I think, and you know, you're, you're the expert, but if I had to say to someone, and, and I think Marissa's buddy really is her therapist at this point, but I think you don't always need a therapist. Um, you need somebody to a check-in buddy, whether you're stressed or whether you're going to make five things when you think uh, maybe, and a friend might say, you only need to make two of those or whatever, somebody to check in with, not because you're crazy, but just because it's a part of self-care to just have a go-to person who has some common sense, who knows enough about your life and what your needs are in your family, who can say, hey, wait a minute, let's flip the script a little bit. It's funny that you say that because one of the things I talk to a lot of people about the week before Christmas, and I notice I'm doing it a lot over the break, is holidays bring up a lot, a lot of feelings for most people. Therapists are great. They're great to talk to, but they don't come to the meal with you. They're not with you every second of the day. And I feel very strongly about this. When you're in therapy working on stuff, you can't have your therapist be your only source of support because if you do that, you're setting yourself up to feel so isolated and so alone. So I think what I have noticed this year is when I when, when you just said that, it struck up so many feelings. I have a lot of friends this year who are going through some very difficult situations. One whose wife died tragically, another friend who I love dearly, who's preparing to start the process of divorcing her husband after years and years of doubt and worry and fear. I have my very close friend, Sandy, that I spend Christmas with every year. Her father-in-law passed away right after Christmas last year. So it was something that I think hit home for me as well, because when we went to Christmas this year, there was somebody missing. I think what helps a lot when you're getting ready to gather and spend whether it's a day or a week with family, I think it's important that you check in with somebody every single day. I think you need to reach out to somebody and you need somebody that you can talk to every day as well. Meaning I need to call you and you need to call me. If that makes sense. I yeah. think, I think that makes the biggest difference. I emailed somebody earlier, one of my clients who I know I can feel in her email. She's so triggered because she spent the, the holiday with her father, her father is also one of her abusers. And when I read the email from her after Christmas, 
I, it took me back to so many years of thinking when you sit down to holiday meals, sometimes the people that, that have caused you the most harm, they somehow appear better or different on holidays because they're usually masking their tendencies, their horrible secrets, which is, I think what happened for this particular client. So to be able to stay in your shoes and reorient and reground yourself to the truth, that's really hard for people, whether it's sitting with your abuser or last night sitting or at Christmas dinner, recognizing that somebody that we all love is no longer here. I remember last night at one moment thinking I was going to ask Gigi, where's pop pop. And then I had to remind myself, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So I just think it's so important to, well, to have people. Now I want to get back to your diary. I think people could keep even a yearly diary. We have holidays throughout the year and it's not always just a, a Thanksgiving, a Christmas, a New Year's, there's Easter, there's birthdays, there's special days that you have with any of your loved ones who might be missing. But I think you need to make a list in that journal, whether it's mental like me, my mental list that I kind of added on to and said, hell no, and here's what's going to change for me. Um, but write it down if you're that kind of person. And, and I think that's probably better. So you can actually go over with the therapist if you're working with a therapist or with a friend, if you need to talk, but to think about some things like, are you bored during the holidays? Is that why you're eating? Is that why you're cutting? Is that why you're drinking or smoking or doing whatever it is that you are doing during the holidays? Because there's so many things that you can do to fight boredom, you know, and that's really comes down to self-care. Like uh, for me, when I'm bored over the holidays, I actually make Christmas ornaments for the next year to give us gifts, or I make bracelets, or I paint, or I write, or I, I do things that really I love to do. That's only something I can do. Um, but there's lots of things you can do to fight boredom, go on walks, take pictures, um, work at a homeless shelter, be grateful for what you have compared to all those people I see who don't have a home. They don't have a fireplace and they don't know their next meal. Uh, they don't have a proper pair of pants to wear, clean underwear. I mean, sometimes gratefulness will making that list will keep you from being um, bored. And if there's temptations, you know, like that extra pie or whatever, take it to the homeless shelter. You don't have to sit there and eat it the next day. There's so many people who would be grateful for that food. Um, there's lots of things that if they're going to tempt you, you can remove them. Um, and also in that same vein, I think not depriving yourself. So it, like at Christmas, if I wouldn't have had that extra caramel, that I had actually maybe five extra salted caramels. Um, if I wouldn't have had it then, I would have been thinking about it and ruminating about it. And in a couple of days, I would go find them and eat them because I wanted them. And I would be saying, why the hell can't you have that? You deserve whatever it is you want. So I think you shouldn't you know, deprive yourself in such a way as to punish yourself. Why would I, why should I punish myself? Why is anybody punishing themselves either not eating or overeating? You know, you really have to, I think, analyze that. And I, you know, those are things that I tend to think about and have been thinking about. And again, I make healthy snacks and meals for me at work, but not at home. And that's sort of my new year's resolution is to make sure that I have healthy habits at home and mm -hmm. at work. 
Right. You need, I mean, again, like you're, you're needing to work on having more balance. You're saying that your work life is probably the place where you feel more worthy or in control, more sane, probably more connected because you've got peers at work. When we come home and we have to step into the role of parent or daughter, those roles can be obviously more stressful depending on what's going on in our family. So I think as we're getting ready to wrap up today, I think what I'm going to say to people is if you notice that you are struggling with what we're calling binge eating, comfort eating, stress eating, if it's something that's happening, not just Christmas week, but if it's something that you notice is happening pretty consecutively, whether it's for the last four weeks or four months or even four years, there are things you can do about it. There are organizations now specifically for binge eating disorder because it isn't the same. Like we were saying before, it's not the same as bulimia and anorexia and the eating disorder world, which I've been a part of for several years, we've become more accepting of eating disorders that it comes at all shapes and sizes. You don't have to look a certain size to have a certain type of eating disorder. So I'm hoping as we've had this conversation, people feel like there's a little less shame and stigma around admitting that you may be struggling with these symptoms. And again, when I think of the word binging now, I think, while I don't want anybody to be struggling with it, I think, but there is something healthy about wanting to indulge or overindulge because at least you feel like you're worth it. We just have to figure out how to do it. We need to be able to indulge on things that make us feel worth and self-care, not something that ultimately is going to make us uncomfortable or sick or not be able to sleep at night, like some of the things you had said earlier in the show. So what I'm going to do for this show is in the notes, I'm going to put specific organizations that people can reach out to if they're struggling with binge eating disorder, or if they even think that they might have an issue. I will put the article up that I referred back to on the show today. And hopefully people will have a conversation about this after they've listened to this episode. Well, and like you said, it's not just the occasional, like I did, you know, a little bit too much caramel and chocolate over the uh, holiday. But if you're looking at a month or two months or three months where you really are doing this, then you, you really need to get some help. And as Sherry said, don't feel embarrassed. There are over 6 million Americans who struggle with uh, this issue and 2% of them are men and 3.5% are women um, who will have an eating disorder at some point of their lives. So this isn't like, oh, you had it as a teenager and it goes away or you never had it, but now you're 40 and it suddenly pops up. Well, it's just trauma can happen at any time. And so this eating disorder doesn't just happen to teenagers. It doesn't just happen to, you know, any certain age group. And in men, what I think is really fascinating is that men, it's likely to happen in their middle age. And then 1.6% uh, of all teens have eating disorders. And when you're looking at an eating disorder, in a teenager, make sure parents, you are looking at your child's body. Sometimes normal development or what you think is normal development is a crisis point where you need to talk to the doctor. If the weight goes up, it goes down. Their clothes are fitting funny. They might be pregnant. You don't know it, but they also might have an eating disorder. You don't know it. 
there's blood pressure, uh, type two diabetes, heart attacks, obesity, lots of things that are negative from this. And some can be corrected and some have long lasting effects. So Sherry and I take this really seriously. And we had this some, a little, a little of our, a little bit of our talk was what tongue in cheek, but it's very serious matter. So if this affects you, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. Uh, we've both gone through it. So talk about it. Talk about it as much as you need to. And if you find that what some of what we talked about today would be helpful for other people who are sort of struggling in silence, share the show with them. And if you like the show, write us <laughs> a review. We love, love, love your comments and your reviews. And just remember to keep listening and know that we fully see you. We fully hear you. We fully validate you. And we fully consider you our friends. Until next time, we'll see you then. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today on Warrior Women Speak. It is truly an honor to have conversations that are difficult to have, but that we need to have. Judge Aquilina and myself are so excited to announce that we are now doing speaking engagements in addition to our podcast. To learn more, you can email us directly at warriorwomenspeak at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen if you are enjoying what you're hearing. Until next time.